I invite you to keep that in front of you. Uh, we're going to be referring to that as we go. And let me at this point apologise to Matt, Matt and Rachel, because they've heard this before. pray first. Father, we thank you for your word which is living and active and we know that by it you accomplish wonderful things and we pray that as we sit under its ministry, under your ministry through it today, that you would open our hearts as has already been prayed and teach us the things you want us to know. Put your finger on those things in our lives which need attending to currently and move us forward in our faith that we may go on loving and serving you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, are they going to get the boys out? Do you think? There was some word that they were going to try today. Um, following it, I don't know how you feel, but every time I see it, I think, oh dear, what, you know, what's going to happen? But one thing that we could be sure of, if they can get all the boys out, if we pray that they can, how are the parents going to react? It's not hard to imagine, is it? Um, there'll be an incredible um, lot of whoopee and thanksgiving and, and cuddling and, and, and one mum's got um, birthday food ready for her son, whose birthday it was the day they went in apparently. It'll be a wonderful time of reconciliation and restoration. And we know what that feels like because you may well have had a time in your life, a special time where you were reconciled to somebody who you hadn't been previously. And you still remember how wonderful that was. Maybe you're working on others at the moment. Uh, my wife and I, Cathy and I, had that experience. We, we had some friends in one of our very early parish, in fact, very first parish, uh, and we got to know them very well. They had two boys. We had, we had two boys the same age, and they grew up together in parallel. Um, and then something happened, and we lost contact with them. We weren't sure what happened, really. But then I, I got a phone call one evening. Uh, the dad was very distressed to tell me that his son... A man had died. Um, he'd had a, um, an issue with um, blood vessel in his brain, an aneurysm, and he died overnight. And he was asking if, if I take the funeral. So we invited them round, we sat down together, and we talked through how they were going and all the things you'd normally talk about. And then we sort of moved on into the general relationship. And that relationship was just wonderfully restored. And Kathy and I give thanks to God quite often for that, and we see them now more often than we used to uh, in the past. Restoration, reconciliation is just wonderful. Not only satisfying, it's, it's sweet, isn't it? It's sweet. But it's still just a small taste of the more profound act of reconciliation we see in the passage we've read out this morning. Now, we're just going to concentrate on verses 15 to 19. Um, I could keep going, but we have to stop for the 5.30 service this afternoon. <laughs> okay. I, I, okay, I get it. Here's a, here's a dinner conversation, or really an after-dinner conversation, 
between Jesus and Peter and said it's an amazing privilege to be able to hear what's going on, to listen in on the conversation. Because out of this conversation, um, enormous consequences flow for each of those involved and for the early church. And in the process it teaches us that reconciliation is not necessarily easy, but in Christ it's very much possible. We, we know about the not easy part with family and friendships. If you've ever tried to reconcile with people who are maybe uh, a bit, you know, standbackish and not wanting to, and we know that's not at all easy. But in Christ, it is possible. We sometimes back off from it because we're not sure if it's ever going to happen. The Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, as he stands on on this um, beach this day, stood there as a builder. He's building his church. Remember, he'd said to Peter, in fact, not all that long before this, when Peter had made that profession of Jesus, remember Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, Peter, on that confession, I'm going to build my church. And that's how it went. His, his building work, yes, it's unique because he's not restoring buildings. He's restoring people and communities. But like any builder, Jesus can see the master plan. Part of my work involves going, uh, standing alongside parishes with a little architectural panel and sitting down and, and looking at plans for redevelopment of their site or something. Um, and the very first thing we say is, have you developed a master plan for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years of what you want to do here as a church? Jesus has a master plan that he's working on. He can not only see what's happening now, but he can see what the final project will be like. And the thing that links us in on that truth is that you and I are the final project. So we'd love him to show it to us, but he can see what you're going to be like in the end. And he cannot, he's not only going to can see that, he's actually going to get you there. Now, I think I'd really love you to keep that truth in mind, that he not only knows us as we are now, He sees our future potential as we will be when he's finished working with us. Can you keep that in mind, that vision, that focus, which, by the way, just delights him and motivates him very highly to work with us, to keep building us towards the end. Keep that in mind as we look at this conversation this morning. So, two things, really. We need to understand the full extent of Peter's denial of Jesus. And I say that because we we look at Peter, we we, we look at him while he's with Jesus and then we tend to look at him in the early church and they're both very positive experiences in the main and we forget what happens in the middle. It's a very very deep hole. And we we need just to... I think we'll miss some of the impact of this conversation if we don't get that. If we ask what went wrong between Peter and Jesus in the first place, well, we know Peter was a prominent figure, wasn't he, amongst the disciples, leader in many instances. 
He was one of the three that often accompanied Jesus on special occasions. Um, and his discipleship took place, took shape during that time. He was regularly taking leadership of the Twelve. Um, he was the one, as we said before, who, who uh, gave that confession of Jesus around which Jesus builds his church. But also, as a public model, he was impulsive and he was overly self-confident. Here's one of the uh, six typical outbursts in the Gospels. There are six outbursts of Peter. There may be others that you've found, but I've just found six. Here's one of them from Matthew 26, verse 31. Let me just read it to you. Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will run away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter told him, even if everyone runs away because of you, I will never run away. I assure you, Jesus said to him, tonight, before the, roast, the, the, roast de cruz, the rooster crows, <laughs> you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter said, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same things. That sounds really commendable. But we know that when it came to the hour when he did have to stand up and turn his profession into action in support of Jesus, he not only found that he wasn't strong enough to do that, but rather than stand with Jesus, his first priority was to save his own skin. We understand the tension there because it's a tension that so many Christians are facing today throughout the world. You know it started in the garden. Jesus asked him, would he just stand aside and pray for him while he went on his own and struggled in prayer with his father about what he knew was about to come. Instead, Peter fell asleep. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, all right, Peter gave a bit of an initial reaction. He, he, he cut the soldier's hair off with his sword, do you remember? Jesus healed, healed him and then he ran away. But I think what sealed his total abandonment of Jesus, his total walking away from everything he shared with Jesus, was that threefold public denial he made. He said three times, do you remember? I don't know the man. What are you talking about? So that while Jesus was in there being cross-examined by the high priest and being struck in the face because they didn't like the answers they were getting from him or no answers, when there was a desperate need for somebody to testify on his behalf, stand up and support him in some way, that's when Peter denied any connection with Jesus. And there's a very dramatic account that Luke records, if you remember. It's in the NIV Bibles, page 1104. It's Luke 22, verse 54. Um, <coughs> I have a slightly different translation, so it'll sound a little bit different. Sorry about that, but let me read it to you. It links up with the one we read out earlier on. They seized Jesus and they led him away and they brought him into the high priest's house. <coughs> 
Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat down together and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the firelight and and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And so Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he had said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And that denial brought significant casualties. The first casualty was Peter, because he's turned his back and totally disconnected himself from the one that he had come to know and love over those three years. His fellow disciples were a casualty because Peter failed them as his leader and lost all credibility with them. And Jesus was a casualty because he was left on his own. No one was there to support him at that point when he most needed it. So we need to understand the full extent of Peter's denial. That just makes much more wonderful the fact that we understand the full extent of Jesus' restoration. Let's have a look. In the heat of the moment, Peter recognises the awfulness of what he's done, but instead of speaking up, even then, speaking up and then trying to perhaps get inside and talk, talk to people about Jesus, he goes outside and he weeps and he leaves. And yes, it's not hard to imagine his sense of bitterness and sorrow and guilt and all those things, very genuine. But it does raise a question and I thought it was worth just stopping briefly here and asking whether some of you may be struggling with this question. Can God ever restore someone from such a thorough denial? How could I ever make up for what I have done? You would not be the first person to ask that with a real sense of depth. You know, I, I, I want to be restored, but I, I don't think God can do it. I don't, I, I've just gone beyond what you know, was perhaps forgivable. If you, that's your question. Please listen really carefully to this next little piece. Because here we're going to see Jesus Take the initiative to restore Peter. There's a really interesting verse in Luke 22, verse 31, which shows us that Jesus knew this had been coming and he had been praying for Peter all along about it. Listen to verse 31 of Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back... Strengthen your brothers. That's Jesus' acknowledgement of Peter. I've been praying for you, Simon, because Satan wanted to take you out of leadership, out of discipleship, push you back to where you used to be. 
but I've been praying for you. And then that, that knowledge of what was going to happen, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I just find that an amazing insight and, and a wonderful reassurance. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Because he's not just praying for Peter, he's praying for you and me for the same reasons. And as Jesus takes Peter aside, we see the fruit of reconciliation that flows out of the cross and the resurrection. This is one of the wonderful things about this passage. It's one of the very first examples of what the cross was going to do in people's lives. We're very familiar with this. Jesus takes Peter aside. He asks him three times, do you love me? Why three? Maybe it's because Peter denied Jesus three times? It's all a bit of an educated guess, isn't it? But that may be true. But let's just have a look. Do you love me, Peter? It tells you and I that in the end, the significant issue about following Jesus is about our loving him. Do we love him? That's the big question. Peter said, I love you so much, Jesus, I would never deny you. And then he walked away. The reality is, Peter hasn't shown his love for Jesus. Jesus has shown his love for Peter. Peter hasn't given his life for Jesus. Jesus has given his life for Peter. And Jesus' question really hurts Peter because as he asks it three times, Peter knows he does love Jesus, but he's very much aware of what he's done. He hasn't shown it by his actions. There's no brave, convincing past history that would prove that he loves Jesus, not on the evidence that was there. All he can do is appeal to what Jesus can see in his heart. Do you love me? Then he asked, do you truly love me? If this means something different, maybe it means something like this. Peter, after all of this, do you now love me as a suffering, dying, rising Messiah? The sort of Messiah I really am? Not the sort of Messiah you thought I should be and hoped I would be. The one who you know, raised the nation up against the Romans and, and uh, pursued a, a political and military uh, um, pro uh, process. Will you receive me as I truly am? Or not? And then he says, do you love me more than these? And I wonder whether he's saying there, are you prepared to give up relying on your own self-confidence and look to me from now on? Because Jesus knew what was ahead of Peter. We, we can read it in the early part of Acts, can't we? Um, some amazing challenges he had to stand up to, to achieve on behalf of Jesus. Are you prepared to give up relying on your own self-confidence and, and look to me? Very personal conversation. Very personal, but also very public. All the other disciples apparently were there. They can hear what was being said. Peter had denied Jesus publicly. Now he was being restored publicly. And it was important for them to, to know that. 
And as Jesus, um, if you like, reattaches the connection with Peter, we hear him say, Peter, follow me. Do you remember that occasion three years previous uh, as he walked along the beach and here was Peter and some of the others mending their, bo- their nets in the boats? And remember what they said? Peter, or Simon, was in those, follow me. So he's saying it again. Simon, follow me. Remember what he said to him on the beach? I will make you fishers of men. He says to Peter, follow me, I'll make you fish for people. And so effectively what he's saying to Peter is, hey Peter, let's start over. Let's get back to the fishing. And as Peter understood and realised that he was being restored by Jesus which was the hope of his heart, but he wasn't sure whether it it could be possible. You can imagine the joy that he felt. His commission from Jesus is restored. His leadership in in the eyes of the other disciples is restored. We know that ultimately it cost him his life. Because he went on serving Jesus. He, he, He didn't walk away again after this incident. In fact, you know, there were times when he was told to walk away. Do you remember? And he said, we cannot because we serve God first, not you. But it did cost him his life. But for now, here is a new man with a fresh start. If you never thought that God could reinstate you, re, um, reconcile you, then... Put that thought outside your head because as with Peter, uh, the grace of Jesus is so abundant that it can overflow anything we have done in the past. We come to him seeking his forgiveness in repentance. He will certainly take our hand and lift us up and say, let's start over. That's the promise. So do you realise how extensively Peter rejected Jesus? And do you realise how extensively Jesus restored Peter by his forgiveness? We said earlier, uh, bringing reconciliation is not necessarily an easy process. Uh, And it's certainly not here, it wasn't easy. But it's only genuine if it's based on truth. Paul urges you and I to speak the truth in love when we're talking about reconciliation and and our dealing in our relationships. And Jesus brought the truth to bear on Peter because if he was going to follow Christ and lead God's people into the future, he had to admit the truth about himself first. Only by being forgiven and restored could he develop into the sort of leader that the rest of the New Testament then unfolds before us. And the truth is that the genuineness of our love for Jesus will show whether we are reconciled and at peace with God or not. How are you going? Well, we have to say that in the light of this incident and the many others that we see in the scriptures, the cross of Christ is extraordinarily powerful in its effects. And I love this passage because it just gives us one of the very earliest accounts of its fruitfulness with such a significant person as Peter. 
Here in this instant we stand at the feet of the master builder. He looks at us, you and me, and he's not interested so much in what we do. He's not so much interested in what we have. He's interested primarily in who we are and who we are becoming. And beyond the now, he sees our potential as disciples who love and serve him and he is working to achieve that end. So can I just finish by by saying two things? Firstly, have you been reconciled to God by faith in the Lord Jesus? Has has he restored you into a saving relationship with him to take you on from there? If, If you know the answer is no or you're not sure, then today's a really good time, really good opportunity to talk to one of the staff, to Matt, um, to um, uh, Matt, <laughs> to, to Ben, or, you know, Ben, I'll stay for a cuppa if you have a cuppa after the service, and talk about it. It's, it is so important. Peter's experience shows us that, really, there is nothing that we could forgive, uh, seek forgiveness for that he cannot deal with and put behind us. So don't think you are the the unique person in that, in that area. But secondly, what about being reconciled to one another? We know what he wants us to do because in, in doing what he did with Peter, he gives us the, the, um, the plans, if you like, to follow. He's made us all builders. He, he builds through us. So how effective are we as people restorers? And just to get down to the nitty-gritty, who are you estranged from at the moment? I have to say, in our family, uh, Kathy has, uh, is estranged from her brother and I'm estranged from my sister at different levels and we are working on it. We are finding we are the only ones in that context who, who will take the initiative Otherwise, we would have no contact whatsoever. It saddens us, but as Christians, we believe that, it, that if we don't take the initiative, who, then the other party won't do it, and we, we value the relationship. Who, who, are you, who do you need to be reconciled with, and are, are you taking the initiative to reconcile with them? First and foremost, this is about the Christian fellowship, of course, but it extends beyond that. And you may not succeed with every initiative, but Jesus will make you more and more effective. And the fruit of your initiatives will be restoring someone who has lost their way. That in itself is just a wonderful end. Consolidating the unity and fellowship of your church life, which everyone will will feel. Being assured, as you remember, your future potential in Christ and his intention to complete you as his building project. Building and restoration takes on a whole new concept when you talk about it in the light of this conversation. And I hope today you might um, spend some time just having another read of it and reflecting together about um, how it touches your lives uh, at this point and what you can do. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus you've given us a master builder
who is establishing his church and who by his grace and with our great thankfulness has included us uh, amongst your people. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to search for the others who are amongst your people but as yet don't know, don't, uh, know you and belong. We also pray that you'd give us uh, the wisdom and the ability to, to be reconcilers. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.